Hello and welcome to a Tuesday episode of the State of the Nova Nation. If for some reason you didn't have cable, lived under a rock, or had no Wi-Fi internet connection, or you live in the mountains, Villanova is going to the Final Four for the second time in three years, third time in a decade, and Chris, I don't know about you, but as soon as it was over, book the tickets right away. Book the tickets. Yeah, I unfortunately will not be able to attend these games in San Antonio. I wish all my fellow Villanova cohorts out there to uh, to go, though, and enjoy themselves. And, man, I, I really wish I could go. But how awesome is this? Back in the Final Four, second time in three years. Remember back in 2009 when Villanova made the Final Four for the first time in 85? And, like, that felt like winning the championship. And now, now it's, this is the second time in three years getting back there. It, it feels just as good. It, this is sweet. And I'm really expecting big things for this weekend as well. I remember just at the beginning of the season or before we, the first game even tipped off, we weren't even sure what to expect from this team. We knew that they were going to be good. We knew that they were going to be solid. But the question was how good after you lose Josh Hart, Chris Jenkins, and Daryl Reynolds. But they're answering that question slowly but surely. And it starts with the two potential NBA draftees and an amazing cast and crew of support built around them with four other guys averaging at least double figures in the scoring department. Chris, this has just been such a great ride so far. Villanova cutting down the nets, no early letdown. And between both games this past weekend, I think it was the type of game that Villanova needed after blowing out their first two opponents so easily to start off this tournament. Sure, they got two double-digit wins over in Boston, but these came a little more, they need a little more effort. They need a little more willpower. They need a little more fight to get them and it wasn't easy first we had west virginia this past friday night we talked about the press we heard so much about what this team can do and i'll be honest with you there was a good portion where i started to get a little bit nervous got a little bit nervous but ultimately villanova went on to win 90 to 78 a huge game from jalen brunson who had 27 points shot 8 of 15 on the floor had four assists and then Omari Spellman was also a huge catalyst in the game, supplying 18 points, 8 boards, 3 blocks. And then you also had Mikhail Bridges and Eric Pascal in double digits with Bridges with 16 and Pascal with 14. Chris, what were your thoughts on this West Virginia Villanova game in the Sweet 16? Well, referring to your nervousness, it, it was plausible to be nervous at that time. Down 6, things weren't looking the greatest. The team was turning the ball over left and right on the press. I felt like they were getting some good shots. They just weren't hitting them. But the turnovers were obviously the main issue. But once they were able to control the ball, everything started to work. Honestly, the difference in this game, it's Omari Spellman. Kanate had his way in the first half. He had that, a few big blocks on Booth. He had that big block on Bridges. I believe that was on the second half. Bridges was flying down the wing, went for the jam, and he met him right at the rim. It was a fantastic block. All, all props to him. But then the sequence that changed the entire game was the, the drive from West Virginia. I don't even remember who was driving the ball. Spellman just swats it right back down in his face. Nova goes on the other end. Booth misses the layup, and then Spellman jams it right back home. That was an absolutely phenomenal sequence, and that really put Villanova over the top. That gave them the momentum to really put this game away. And I love how this team responded down six with about 10 minutes to go in the game. Whether it seemed like not all hope was lost, but it, things were starting to slip a little bit. 
as uh, Scott Graham told us down in Louisville, it was the danger zone for Villanova at that time, and they responded perfectly. And that's exactly what you want to see in the tournament. That's exactly what you want to see from a championship-caliber team. The the way to respond to adversity like that, to a their largest deficit at the time, the ability to rally around a freaking redshirt freshman with the sequence like that. And then, yeah, you had Pascal dunk, the end-all dunks on Kanate because Kanate was a real big pain in the ass the entire game, so that was pretty sweet. You had Bridges knocking down some open threes. Ante made some open threes. Jalen with the back downs. It was a phenomenal game from Villanova offensive standpoint from about te- the last 10 minutes onward. It was a great game on that side. And then defensively, I thought they played a pretty good game. Obviously, the press was giving them some issues, but for a West Virginia team that's pretty good offensively, I, I thought Villanova did a phenomenal job holding them to 25% from beyond the arc, 38% from the field, or 39 if you round up a little bit. I, I thought it was a great all-around game, and I was really happy with the way they responded after being down six initially. Yeah, defensively speaking, Javon Carter was only held to 12 points, shot five of 16 on the floor, which isn't efficient, but he contributed in other departments, and I thought he did a great job facilitating playing defense, racking up eight assists and four steals. But taking it back to Villanova, yeah, that first half, even though Nova was up by two going into the break, it was not a pretty sight. This team looked very out of character with the way that they were turning the ball over. And some of it was just a lazy execution, whether it was a misguided pass, whether it was a lazy bounce pass on a press where I don't know why you would even attempt to do that. And West Virginia was able to capitalize and get them all disoriented, get them out of their element. Outside of Jalen Brunson, I thought that no one else was really able to get themselves going. And then in the second half, I was also about to mention that Scott Graham danger zone with West Virginia on a big run, taking the lead, extending it to six. Villanova calls a timeout, and you it sounded like there was a good amount of West Virginia fans. And as Brendan Riley so mentioned, he was there in Boston over the weekend. They showed up, and it was pretty surprising seeing where they were coming from. But there was a good amount of West Virginia Mountaineer faithful in the building, and they got loud. They were proud. And I was feeling a little nervous at that point. With 11 minutes to go in the game, Nova on the losing end of this big West Virginia run, down six, the Scott Graham danger zone. But fortunately, coming out of that break, it was a completely different Wildcat squad. And once they took the lead, they could hardly look back after that. They just executed and just fired on all levels. Threes were jumping, layups were falling. Defensively, they were getting some big plays. You mentioned that Spellman series. That got me jumping out of my seat at home when he got that big block. And then the big posterizing putback slam. That, I thought, was probably the play or, I guess, the series of the whole game in my eyes. Yep, and it really kick-started that entire run to really put West Virginia at bay. And I think Jay said it best that the – I think it was in post-game. Was I concerned when we were down six? Yeah, but I knew a run was coming. I just don't know when it's coming. and. It was that block, that series that really got the whole thing going there. And it just freed up so many options. Yeah, you know, they had the turnovers with the press and all. But I think right after that 10-minute mark, it was like really right right there. Right at that 10-minute mark, everything just started to click, regardless of the press. They were getting the open shots. And it, it was weird. For the first 30 minutes of that game, that press was working. Villanova was turning over the ball, was turning the ball over. And basically, we were speculating, like, oh, if Villanova was able to beat the press, they'll free up some shots. And... So at some points they did, but for the most part, the press was able to maintain. I, I thought it was a great all-around game, and I was really happy with the way they responded after being down six initially. Yeah, to see Villanova respond like that and Amari Spellman coming alive in the closing minutes of the game, 
Jalen Brunson shouldering a lot of the load. We saw why he was the East Region MVP. But yeah, it was just a great game for Villanova. I thought it was kind of that, you know, the first two games were just way too easy. And it was good to get something a little more competitive, something that was different from what they saw. And I thought it really helped prepare them for Texas Tech, who is also another very physical team, very tough defensively. And although Texas Tech executed a lot better than West Virginia did, it was still a very good preparation for it, seeing how good West Virginia is defensively, how relentless they are in giving pressure, playing that hard-nosed style of play under Bob Huggins. And then when it came to Sunday, with a trip to the Final Four, San Antonio on the line, we got a big test, I thought. Although Villanova won, 71-59, that final score was probably not indicative of how the game really went down. It just was so close, especially towards the end. But Texas Tech comes out, punches Villanova right in the face with a nine-point lead, the most that Nova's ever trailed in the tournament game so far. And then Villanova storms back, takes a comfortable 13-point lead going to the break. And I'm sitting here thinking, book those tickets. We are going to San Antonio. And then Texas Tech came back. Wasn't a pretty second half, but the Wildcats did what they needed to to survive in advance. What did you think about this game? This was definitely something very different than some of the other games that we've seen so far this season. Yeah, I like how you brought up the fact that the score really wasn't indicative of how the game went. And I kind of felt the same way with West Virginia, just going back to that game for a bit. But yeah, with Texas Tech, a lot of people saying going into this game was like, oh, it's going to be a dirty game. Real muck it up game, you know, type of the game that, you know, we're used to seeing Villanova play against Providence at Providence or even during the Big East final this year. Very sloppy, maybe not the best shooting, but a lot of defense. And we knew Texas Tech was a good defensive team going into the tournament. We knew going into this game they were a good defensive team. I didn't think they were that good, but I also didn't think they were that bad on offense. My God, they were so stagnant. And it kind of, like, I, I had this, like, vision of Texas Tech with their guards, with Evans and, and Culver and, and the like, and I th- and Smith. I thought they would just, you know, not really go full Shabazz mode, but I could totally picture them doing something like that, you know, hitting those mid-range shots off the back foot. But they were so bad. They couldn't even – they couldn't drive. And I think that's a testament to Villanova's defense. I'm not saying – that Texas Tech was completely incompetent. I, I think Villanova had a lot to do with that. On the defensive end, obviously you had Eric Pascal guarding the rim. He was great. Phil Booth had a great defensive game. I, I mean, honestly, the whole team had a great defensive game. But Pascal was pretty much the one that stood out with eight defensive rebounds and 14 rebounds total. But yeah, but back to Texas Tech's offense. They were just so bad, very stagnant, not a lot of ball movement, uh, bad shots. Uh, I felt like a lot of their three-pointers were forced. Um, they did hit start to hit a couple in the second half, which you kind of figured the law of averages were kicking at some point, but still they only shot five of twenty. So that was that was pretty bad. And then yeah, Villanova's offense wasn't really clicking as well, but I think a lot had to do with the foul trouble to Spellman and Bridges. Bridges, I think, wasn't really able to get going because of the foul trouble. Meanwhile, Spellman was going, but he couldn't stay in the game because of the foul trouble. He only played twenty six minutes. And I felt like if he had played a full game without the foul trouble, I think we kind of run away with this pretty easily. But with that being said, strong minutes from Pascal. I thought he was the player of the game. 
I mean, I know what Brunson did. He pretty much closed the game out, especially with some late free throws. But I thought Pascal played a phenomenal defensive game, and I thought he had some nice drives to the basket. Uh, DCR contributed nicely in, in Spellman's absence due to the foul trouble. He hit some big free throws early on uh, and played some good good enough defense. And then, honestly, man, Dante had a good game. I, I You look at his stat line. I mean, you look at everyone's stat line. It was pretty bad outside of Spellman's offensively. But – DiVincenzo had the and one, I think, to end the half, close to the end of the first half. He had those two dunks in the second half. He didn't really have any terrible turnovers like he did in the West Virginia game. And I think that's why we get so frustrated with him sometimes, because you see how he acts against a press like West Virginia, some lackadaisical turnovers. And yes, he and then he goes out and hits a couple big shots against West Virginia. And then he does the same against Texas Tech with some high flying action. And you just wonder which Dante's gonna show up. And I was glad the he mostly good Dante showed up against Texas Tech because I think he, him and Pascal were pretty much the X factors outside of Jalen. Totally. And I think this was one of those games where it needed to be all hands on deck. We couldn't rely on just one person to carry Nova to the top. And especially when Jalen Brunson, although he did score a team high 15 points, he was pretty limited offensively. He didn't get into a groove until very late in the game. But one thing that I liked about this whole approach, and I think, it's something that was pretty key also to Villanova's last run. Never really got the sense this past weekend that Villanova was so dependent on the three-point line. It seemed like that they were able to attack the basket, mix it up. Like, yeah, threes, you know, they definitely still took a good amount of threes. But it wasn't like, uh, we're just going to keep shooting until we make them. We might attack. We might post up. We might get something in there. And I think that that approach, and Jay Wright mentioned it, how felt his team had become a little too reliant on the three-point line. And to see that a couple adjustments be made, I think it really made the difference because we could have easily shot ourselves into a coma, especially in that second half where we weren't making anything. Nothing was dropping. And to just be aggressive, get to the free throw line, take 35 attempts, that was big. Making 29 of them, converting on 82%. But I thought the real X factor was the way that Villanova played defensively, especially Eric Pascal. Like you said, I thought he was the player of the game. We do not win if it wasn't for his effort on the boards, his first career double-double, 12 points, 14 rebounds. And overall, he's just grown to be such a solid defender. Last season, when he was still kind of new to the big man spot, we saw that he was prone to being in foul trouble. This year, he's starting to grow. And I think defensively, he's starting to catch up with his game on offense. Because he really did not have that much of an impact on that end of the court coming to Villanova. And to see him grow and make continual progress, that's big. And this is really big for Villanova right now. And especially with who's on deck for Saturday, we're going to need a tough defensive effort. And we're going to need a tough defensive approach. But with Pascal, he really led the effort on the boards. Villanova got 20 offensive rebounds, the most in a game for them since 2013. And I thought the way that they cleaned up glass, got those second chance opportunities, that just devastated Texas Tech. Yeah, it absolutely did. And and even when it seemed like Texas Tech was kind of clawing into the game, I I know they had cut it down to five at one point. I think we got like one big offensive rebound that led to eventual free throws or basket. I don't don't remember exactly the sequence, but it basically sealed the game from that point on out. And yeah, man, Pascal, his development, and they talked about this a lot in the post-game press conference, his development from 
you know, Fordham freshman to a Villanova junior, a retro junior now, and his progression as a player is is absolutely staggering. And I'm so glad he he chose to transfer to Villanova. I mean, I know you're very familiar with him being from your hometown and all, and how he kind of chose Fordham early in his recruiting process and kind of made up for that quote unquote mistake and is now developed into a full-fledged big man who can protect the brim just with the greatness of anyone, a great defense and, you know, contribute on the offensive end as well. But I want to go back to, uh, you were mentioning the free throws too. A lot of talk over the weekend was uh, very anti-Villanova talk, and it was mainly because a lot of people felt that the refs were giving Villanova these games because of a lot of ticky-tack fouls. And, you know, I have to agree there were a lot of ticky-tack fouls over the weekend, but it's not like I, I like the, the refs were, like, giving Villanova the game. You could make the argument that the free throws did win the game against Texas Tech. I mean, if you look at the stat line, they basically shot even with the exception of the free throws. But the West Virginia fan base, man, I don't know if you saw this on social media, but they are unbearable. I <laughs> I don't know what it is about them, but they were unbearable after this after that loss. I mean, obviously, I would be pissed too if my team lost, but like they were like blaming everything left and right, and just they were just not a not. They were a very salty bunch about the refs and. Villanova kind of created their free throws. It wasn't so much the refs just calling crap. It was really so much that the way West Virginia played, I felt like, you know, a very high pressure defense, a very high intense defense. And I think it leads to a lot of fouls. So I don't know if you would agree with that or not. I'd agree with that. I thought that there were a bunch of instances this weekend where the refs were really calling it very tightly and they weren't quote unquote letting them play. But overall, I always thought, I always felt that it evened itself out. I, I don't want to get it mixed up, but I think it was the Texas Tech game where it felt like Villanova was getting all the calls in the first half, but then in the second half, we had three guys in foul trouble. At that point, you start to panic because, one, Texas Tech is making their comeback, and two, when you have Bridges, Brunson, and Spelman with four fouls each, and they're just one away from hitting the bench, you got to wonder, like, is Villanova going to choke this away, or are we seeing a strong Red Raider comeback? And then especially when they cut it to five, I was sitting there thinking if Texas Tech gets one more big three after this and cuts it to a one-basket game, that's going to be devastating. Fortunately for Nova, that didn't happen. But while I did see where people were coming from, like I certainly thought that there were a few questionable calls, but I thought it went both ways. And I thought that it was a product, definitely a product of Villanova being aggressive and get, getting their, you know, just getting their hands dirty doing what they needed to do to draw fouls. I thought it went both ways. I thought there were a few ticky-tack calls, more so than usual, but it definitely went both ways. Yeah, for sure. I know you were exactly right with your uh, Texas Tech point. It, it felt like everyone was complaining that Villanova was getting all the calls in the first half, and then in the second half we had to basically sit two of our best players because of uh, foul trouble. It was just absolutely ridiculous. But yeah, that, that was getting a little scary with that five-point lead. You had a sinking feeling that Texas Tech was going to hit at least one more basket to get it within one possession, but uh, there just wasn't meant to be. And I, I, was, I was glad that we – it was probably the most – I don't know. Maybe West Virginia was probably the most stressful win in the tournament so far. But, hey, look, four straight double-digit wins, even though if the last two were a little more score-deceiving than than what uh, the score really actually indicated. I'm looking forward to this weekend. This should be a fun game against Kansas. Uh, we'll save the preview for uh, next episode, I believe. You know, Kansas coming off a great win against Duke. They got a lot of momentum. They got a little revenge factor from 2016, a little chip on their shoulder because of that. And then on the other side of the bracket, you got Sister Jean against Michigan. So I'm pretty happy how the, the uh, Final Four turned out. We were going up against the best to get the best against the best, and you get the little underdog story against a team who, honestly, 
I didn't expect to be in the final four. I, they, they kind of bonded together. They kind of maybe Villanova esque in terms of the big 10. There's really not one player that just stands out for Michigan, but yeah, I'm, I'm loving this tournament so far and uh, I'm looking forward to this weekend. Certainly. And I think when you had Duke or Kansas coming up on the menu, I think Villanova really didn't need that ugly game against Texas tech. And even though they, you know, some people argued, oh, well, if they win against a more offensively potent team, they would have been in trouble. But to hold the team to 33% on the floor and 16% from deep, that's still impressive, especially Texas Tech and the way that they were playing going in. They decimated Purdue. Even though, yeah, sure, there were more offensively potent teams out there, I thought the way that Villanova was able to find a way to win when the shots weren't dropping, using defense, rebounding, and just being a pain for the Red Raiders. Not one guy was able to shoulder the load. It wasn't like one person was dropping 30 and then carrying the way while everyone else struggled. It was a tough shooting night for a lot of different guys. And for Villanova to come out with a win, double digits, sure, might have been because of the free throws at the end. But hey, you'll take it, and now you're going to the Final Four because of this effort. Survive in advance, two out of the last three, three over the last 10 years. It's a good time to be the Wildcat. Also, to your point about the other side of the bracket, I got an email last night just kind of giving the media rundown for the Final Four this weekend. And I won't be able to attend, but Sister Jean is having a her own press conference on Friday morning. I won't be there. I will still be traveling <laughs> But I just found it hilarious how she's having her own little like media session. Oh man, that would have been that would have been cool to go. That would have been real funny to go. She she has like her own like she got like trademarked or something yesterday or something like that. I don't know. They're, 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 she's selling merchandise of some sort. She's like all over like socks now or something. She has like her own socks or something. I don't know. But yeah, it's, it's a cool little story over there. I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. But the the team itself, let's not forget that team's pretty good too. They they got some good players over in uh, Chicago. Would you be willing to trade uh, DePaul for Loyola Chicago? What would we have to kick back to the Missouri Valley Conference to pry them away? We can offer the Missouri Valley Conference DePaul and their new shiny arena, probably the best arena out of all the others in the Missouri Valley. So that we can offer them. I think they'll take that deal. Sure. Why not? Yeah, and then they can play their conference tournament there. See, look, it all works out. I don't know where they play oh. it now, but I'm assuming that that new branch bank in arena is definitely a lot nicer than wherever they're playing right now. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. No, you're definitely right. They can do that. So get the paperwork ready. Let's uh, let's let's see if uh, we can propose this to the Big East and uh, hopefully have it by the beginning of next year. So we're gonna save any of the Kansas chatter, any predictions forecast for what's going to happen this weekend in San Antonio for next time. Before we dive into the mailbag, I just want to talk about the 3X3U, the new three-on-three tournament of All-Stars that's going to be tipping off this weekend. And the way it's going to work is there are 32 D1 conferences. Each conference is going to send four players to participate in this tournament. And for the rules for these, and it can't just be any players, they have to be seniors. And they can't be seniors on teams that are participating in the Final Four. Not that Villanova had seniors anyway, because we only have juniors. Villanova isn't participating. The Big East did announce its four-man roster. And we talked about this. We speculated over what seniors we would want to represent 
on our four-man squad with three players and one sub coming off the bench. And this was totally not what I expected at all. This is I, – I don't, I don't know how you feel about this, Chris, but it, it was a hot topic in the few who Slack chat. But the four-man team will be Marquette's Andrew Rousey, Xavier's Trayvon Blewett, J.P. Makira, and then to round things off, Desi Rodriguez from Seton Hall. I felt like it could have been so much better. You know, give me Delgado, give me Keelan Martin, give me Marcus Foster. But who knows? Maybe they declined the invitation to play. But this will be the four-man team repping the Big East, going up against all the other conferences for $100,000 in cash. It's also technically the first time that NCAA athletes can get paid. So uh, this is what also makes it very, very, very intriguing. Well, we're definitely sending over one of the most hateable lineups out there, that's for sure, with Rousey and Makura. Jeez, that's a very easily punchable lineup right there. But, yeah, I we we talked about this, I don't know how many weeks ago, about our all-star cast for, for this tor- type of tournament, and uh, we only got, what, one one player? <laughs> we blew it in. and uh, I mean, Desi Rodriguez is a good player in his own right, and Makura's all right, but, like, like, no, like I'd rather have Rodriguez over Makura, but geez, I got, I got, I, you have to think that there was some declining of invitations out there because the fact that Martin and Delgado aren't, or even Foster aren't even on the roster is a little ridiculous, but you never know. Could be nursing something or they're just, they just don't want to even try. Too pissed they lost in the tournament, which I wouldn't blame them whatsoever. But then again, Blue it and Makura are in it. So, and they were a one seed that, Plus in the second round, so sucks. I wish we could have sent a better cast over, but it'll be interesting to see how uh, two Xavier guys, a Seton Hall guy, and a Marquette guy uh, work out. Yeah, and I know you said that we have two hateable guys on the roster with Rousey and Makira, but what if they hate each other? I don't know how this is going to work. I would have loved to see Keelan Martin. I know that he was on the nominee list, so I don't know if he declined the offer. They don't tell us that. It's a shame. I would have loved to see him, Foster, or Delgado. But hey, here we are. These guys will be duking it out along with 31 other conference all-star teams in a nonstop three-on-three tournament that's going to take place in San Antonio, not too far away from the Alamo Dome. And if you're interested in checking it out, tickets are only 15 bucks. I will be covering this tournament also only the last two days, but I did look up how much tickets it would be, and there were only 15 so if you feel like splurging, just to check out some three-on-three action, the rosters are out. You can check them out now. They're all over the place. But it's looking – I think it'll be pretty fun. I think it's going to be pretty fun. On the surface, it's a great idea. I absolutely love it. It's just a matter if you can get full participation with uh, the best seniors in, from the best conferences, and I think it could really be something wild. But, uh, you know, it's a decent team, Big East, to send it over. And, you know, for a conference that prides itself on the four-year – student athlete and all you wish you could have had a better team sent over there but alas not meant to be do we know who picked the team is it it's not like the it's not like val ackerman's like picking and choosing the team right like do we know do we know who there was a giant committee of pretty much bloggers and sports reporters like i know barstool guys on there adam zagoria's on there from zag's blog Mm -hmm. i saw a few names i recognized but overall it just seemed to be writers why couldn't you get on there I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I would like we... sat there and I, I would want to know who authorized this Biggie's team. <laughs> you would have had Angel Delgado like first class, flown in first class, and everything. If that was the stopping point, Angel, you're gonna have to fly coach. 
Nah. <laughs> nah, I know my guy at VU Hoops. He'll fly me in first class. I don't know. He's not on the committee this year. So sorry, guys. I'm not coming. Hopefully this tournament works out. It's going to be on ESPN2. They got a few sponsors. It's looking like it could be a pretty good event. I looked up the sessions. They're broken up by three or four hour periods. And it seems like there's nonstop basketball going on on different courts. So I think it'll work out. Uh, you know, there's always something to watch. And the thing I like about it, too, is looking at the rules, they're pretty fast paced. So there's going to be a 12 second shot clock. It's going to be street ball rules, one point inside the arc, two points behind the arc. First team will reach 21 or after a 10-minute timer wins. So it's always going to be moving. It's going to be pretty fast-paced. There's going to be a lot of action. Cash is on the line. And if you were like Josh Hart was when he was a senior or a junior, and you were itching to make some pay, this is definitely a good opportunity for some people to make some money for their pocket before they graduate. We'll be keeping an eye out for that. It's going to be taking place this weekend from Friday through Easter Sunday, three-day event. It's not going to coincide with the actual Final Four games, so it's going to be out of the way. They're going to stop three hours before, I believe, two or three hours before the first Final Four game tips off. So plenty of time to do what you got to do. And maybe you want a little appetizer before you ingest some sold-out, packed Alamo Dome hoops. But, yeah, tickets are about 15 bucks. If you can't make it, it's on ESPN2. For now, we're going to take a moment to step back and crack open the mailbag. As always, you can tweet us your questions at S-O-N-N-Pod. We can answer them on the show. Or, if you'd like to, you can also leave your questions or anything you want us to discuss in a podcast thread in the comment section, and it'll find its way to us. First question from Jerry Quinn. Most surprising performance over the last four games? I wouldn't. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't say it's like surprising, because I kind of expect him to rise up in a big occasion like this, especially against a big guy, a similarly equally talented big guy like Kanate. But I have to say, Amari Spellman's performance against West Virginia definitely, definitely caught my eye. A little, probably the most eye jumping. I mean, I know Bridges lit up Alabama in the second half, and I know Brunson had a great game against West Virginia. But I hate this is sound spoiled, but we kind of expected from them at this point. But to see Spellman rise to the occasion like that against Kanate and absolutely dominate him in the second half and and really put the big boy wings on and take flight in, in uh, that West Virginia game was really something special. So I'd have to go with that. Yeah, I was thinking either Spellman or Eric Pascal. I think our front court has really stepped it up. And I wouldn't say it's totally a surprise, but they've been playing very consistently over the last four games. They've been playing very well. You had Spellman with a big game against West Virginia, but overall this tournament he's been playing nicely. And then Eric Pascal, his performance against Texas Tech, feasting on the boards, getting buckets, his first career double-double to top off this four-game stretch so far in the tournament. I thought that because Jalen Brunson being Jalen Brunson, that's not exactly a surprise at this point. But I would say that either of those two would be a good pick. and. It's no surprise. You know, they were rewarded for it. They're recognized for their play. They got a spot on the all-tournament team in the East region, along with Jalen Brunson, who was MVP, and Carson Edwards from Purdue and Keenan Evans from Texas Tech. Three Villanovans on the all-tournament team. Two guys who really stepped it up in the postseason. And then, of course, you had Jalen Brunson being Jalen Brunson. But, yeah, I'd say either of those two guys are a pretty good pick. For sure. And you know with those uh, regional teams, the, to the victor goes the spoils with that. I saw a lot of people, again, the West, mainly the West Virginia fan base, complaining that Javon Carter wasn't on, on the team. And, like, I, I mean, I kind of get it, but, I mean, why not give it to the 
I don't know, guy who dropped 30 in his last game. And then the, one of the Texas Tech guards who obviously they were in the Elite Eight. So I, I didn't really understand all the complaining. It's it's a regional team. It's it's not the end of the world. Like, chill. If your, team, if your player doesn't make it, oh, well. I thought Javon Carter had a good tournament. And, yeah, you know, he had monster games against Murray State and Marshall, but those were both double-digit seeded teams. Finally against a big team, it didn't really seem like he was able to get into groove. He was still facilitating at a high rate, but just wasn't scoring, wasn't able to hit his shots as well as he did in the first two games. Maybe the committee saw it as like a sign of competition, but yeah, like you said, to to the victor goes the spoils. I think when Villanova won at Louisville, I think Villanova had four of five spots. So just because you had Ron Archie Diakono, Daniel Chaffee, Josh Hart, and Chris Jenkins all four were just playing out of their minds. And so I think they all got spots on the all-tournament team. I'm pretty sure the last guy was a Kansas player. But it is good to see that Spellman, Pascal got recognized for how they've been playing because they've been playing pretty well this, so far this tournament. Jerry had another question. If somebody told you in November or December that Villanova would win the East region shooting less than 17%, would you believe them? No. But I will say when watching the Texas Tech game, we've seen Villanova had very ugly performances offensively. We saw it against St. John's at home when St. John's had back-to-back wins over top five teams. And then we saw it against Providence on the road. Now, in those games, Villanova wasn't shooting well, but I had the gut feeling that we were not going to win. The Texas Tech game, when Texas Tech was rallying back and then really made it a game in the second half, and Villanova couldn't buy a basket if their life depended on it, even though the shots weren't dropping, I had a feeling that we're going to win the game. There was just a different kind of energy on the court, one that never died down on defense, one that never died down on rebounds, one that, even though the shots weren't falling, it seemed like everyone was just putting it on the line and all other facets of the game. And that was the difference maker. And I didn't get that same feeling against St. John's. I didn't get that same feeling against Providence. Yeah, the shots weren't dropping, but I felt like Nova just kind of let the game slip away from them. This time around, even though Texas Tech was coming back, and even though the shots weren't dropping, I had that full confidence, a pretty good feeling that Nova was going to pull it out. And they did. But if you told me back in November, December, that we would be going to the Final Four, because we shot less than 17%, I would not believe you. But if you showed me that game, I would have had confidence that Nova was going to win. They played very well against Texas Tech, and they really won that ugly game. It wasn't pretty, but they just owned that ugliness. Yeah, the answer to Jerry's question, the answer is obviously a no, I would not believe you at all. Like That would be absolute lunacy. And to build off your point, Eugene, I think the reason I, I shared the same feeling as you, like where I felt that they were in control the whole game, and I never really felt that they were going to lose at any point during that game. And I think the main reason for that is because of the way the defense has improved. And against St. John's and against Providence, it, the defense wasn't up to the par that it is now. The defense has taken off exponentially since uh, I really can't really pinpoint it. Maybe. Big East tournament, maybe, maybe a little bit. I, I'm not exactly sure when the, they just flipped the switch, but it's certainly noticeable during this tournament run. They've played such great defense, and I think that's why 
they were able to get away with such a poor, it's exactly why they were able to get away with such a poor shooting performance the other night or the other day. And, and that's the difference between tournament losses in the past and now where they were shooting bad. I mean, defense was eh at best during those games. And they, as a result, they weren't able to get the big stops and the game got away from them this time around. They probably shot worse than what they usually do in those type of losses. And, uh, they played a good enough defense to, to keep uh, to keep ahead, and they got the stops when they needed, and that's really that, that was really the difference. It was all about the defense uh, against Texas Tech. Yeah, against NC State and UConn, I did not have a good feeling. Even when Texas Tech came out, punched Villanova in the mouth, went on that 9-0 run, I sat there thinking, that's cute, wait until we settle in. The defense has just been on point, and that's something that we saw in that 2016 run where Villanova just – flipped the switch and just hit a whole nother level, took their game even higher on offense, on defense, and all these different areas of the game. And right now they're rolling on all cylinders, and that's why they're going back to the Final Four. This team is playing very well, playing very good basketball, and now they'll get a shot at one of the Blue Bloods, and I'm looking forward to it. This next question is from Brian Whitehouse. Let's talk about the Chris Mack to Louisville rumor. Do you think it'll happen? What would this mean for Xavier in the Big East if he left? So for those who don't know, Chris Mack is a Xavier alum, but his wife is from the Louisville area. It was rumored that he met with Louisville over the weekend, and that seemed to be confirmed by a number of different places. From what I've heard from my inside sources, he was being offered $3 million for, by Xavier, and I heard that Louisville was willing to start the bidding process at $5 million. Now, when you're Chris Mack, and you're only making about $1.6 million per year. This is about to be the same situation with Chris Holtman. They're just throwing wads of cash at him until <laughs> you can't refuse. And, yeah, the Louisville job, it's looking a little tainted right now, this and that. But money talks, and I do think that when this is all said and done, he will be taking his talents to Kentucky. Yeah, it seems like another offseason in which a uh... – highly regarded Big East coach is going to receive that godfather offer and uh, most likely leave, and that's going to suck. Butler had a nice little season under LaVal Jordan replacing Holtman, and, you know, that's good and all, but, like, you don't want to see another coach leave the Big East, especially one who's uh, highly regarded on the national landscape. I'm a big fan of Chris Max. I, I think he's done a great job with Xavier, obviously. I think he gets a lot out of that team. As, as exemplified by the tournament run last year, he made the Elite Eight as an 11 seed when pretty much they were down and out towards the end of the year. And then this year, they were top five for most of the year in the in the AP polls. And obviously, they had a disappointing end. But man, they had, they're losing a lot talent-wise, and now they're going to lose their coach. That's going to sting big time for Xavier. I like to see them stay competitive. It makes a good for a good rivalry with Villanova, and it gives the Big East, if they're able to stay good, another team in there potentially make a run in March and we need more of those teams and I think if Mac leaves it I don't think it'll be like a nail in the coffin I obviously I think Xavier can still turn it around and I don't know who they'll hire as a replacement I would have no idea who would even be on the short list of coaches there but yeah you don't want to see another guy leave in such a uh, quick turnaround with Holtzman and Mac back-to-back off seasons it's definitely going to sting Xavier seeing how they graduate their high-scoring duo 
in program history with Trayvon Blewett and J.P. McCara. And then you have Chris Mack, who's kind of been the mastermind over the last few years and taking this team, moving them from the A-10 into the Big East, slowly but surely growing into one of the top teams in the conference. I don't see why he wouldn't take it, fire him. You know, mon- the money's on the table. And, and he'll definitely have the resources. He'll definitely have the support and the cash. But that's one thing I want to bring up to you, actually. We're about to see two Big East coaches with a lot of promise leave for Greener Pastures. So I hope go to Ohio State. And he was getting paid a lot more. And he'll definitely have the resources over there. Not a basketball school, but it's still pretty big over there. And then with Louisville, once again, cash is on the table. $5 million starting price versus the three that Xavier is going to offer you. You got to take it. But looking at some of the other Big East coaching salaries out there, I know before JT3 got fired, he was actually the highest paid coach in the Big East, making over $3 million a year. When you see programs like this, easily throwing $5 million like it's nothing. That's the starting price. For Chris Mack, does that make you a little worried for other coaches potentially down the line jumping ship for other schools that are just going to throw wads of money? Maybe like a Greg McDermott, maybe a Wojo and Marquette. Well, 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 well. Well, apparently, according to uh, Marquette fans, well, they want Wojo out. So I don't know. If, I don't know if uh, anyone's going to be throwing wads of cash at Wojo. But but yeah, McDermott, I could most definitely see. Uh, uh, okay, uh, how about Ed Cooley? I probably shouldn't have said Ed Cooley. Yeah, uh, we're yeah. talking success. The, yeah, yes, <laughs> Ed, yeah. Cooley. Ed Cooley's making $2 million right now. Right, yeah. Uh, yes and no. And I, I think the overwhelming uh, theme here is that uh, Ohio State football has a football program, very good football program. Louisville has a football program. was once kind of good. Now they're, they're still kind of relevant depending. On, I don't know what the recruiting class is next year, but they have Lamar Jackson. Point is, those – Basketball programs, and Louisville's a very good basketball program historically. They have the football schools, they have the football program to back it up. To They have that money in the athletic department to throw at these guys because of football. Big East doesn't have that, and that's concerning. But you do get guys like Jay Wright, and I believe Ed Cooley kind of fits under the same umbrella, that – they're a big believer in the basketball only thing. They're a big believer in building a program and staying with that program. Will a three million to two to three million dollar pay increase change that in their minds? Maybe Cooley's. It's definitely not Jay Rice, but maybe Cooley's, maybe McDermott's. But like I feel like those guys, they, I feel like they're very entrenched in the whole Big East mantra, the whole it's all about basketball mantra, basketball conference. Like, I don't think they want to leave for a much greener pasture in terms of salary. If it means going to like, I don't know. I don't even know like a program out there. Like I'm just, I'm not saying this is equivalent, but like a Penn state, like big football history, but basketball programs eh, at best. So I don't think they'll do that. So that's, it's concerning. Yes. Because the Big East doesn't have the football to support the big salaries, but at the same time, I feel like a lot of coaches that do coach in the Big East get buy into the Big East mantra. We did see McDermott say no to that Ohio State job last year. I see your point in this whole Big East mantra and coaches buying in. Right now, Chris Mack, I know Xavier fans bought a giant billboard for him to stay, but I don't think he will be at Xavier University next year and he will be cashing in a check from the Louisville Cardinals next season. 
One more question. This is from Mike Jacobs. He said, Stans Eugene each get a $25 bet in Vegas. What do you want? Yeah, Mike J, I don't know if you meant a college basketball related bet or not, because, uh, you know, baseball season's starting up and big baseball fan. And I'm, I'm looking at, uh, Looking at our website right now, that's giving me the over/under on win totals for the year, and the Toronto Blue Jays currently sitting over/under 81 wins. I am taking the under. God, I do not think Toronto is going to be good in the slightest. I don't think they're going to be 500 baseball good. Give me the under on that. Throw $25 on that if we're not doing anything college basketball related. But if we are doing something college basketball related, you know what? Throw $25 money line on Loyola Chicago. Why the hell not? Let's go with Sister Jean. Let's let's get the 11 seed in there, and then hopefully Villanova plays them, and then we can have our first uh, all Catholic school final since uh, 1985. It's just saying you took the sports bet route. I was thinking that Mike J should take my 25 dollars to a roulette table. Yeah, I was about I was actually about to say put 25 on number one for Jalen Brunson, but then I was like, well, it's actually. Let's let's go for let's go for a little more safer bet, so that way he's just not throwing twenty five away on one spin because it doesn't hit that number. But uh, let's go twenty five dollars on on red, and then you keep going until we both get twenty five dollars, and you're free to call it quits from then. How about that? Oh, so you're playing it real safe, aren't you? See, I'm in it for the long haul. I'm in it for from from April to September with my baseball bet. See, I wish I knew more about sports betting. Uh, when I go to a casino, I'm there for the poker tables. I'm there for the roulette, a little bit of blackjack. You can miss me on the slots. I wish I knew more about sports betting. I don't even know where to look up these things. Like people like have all these uh, odds and and all these different prop bets. I don't even know where to go and find that. I tried looking it up, and I felt like I was going to be tracked by the FBI for online betting in New York. <laughs> oh wait, that's right. Yeah, yeah that's true. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just do. I just did a quick Google search. I really don't know much. You know what a real fun game is, though? Table game? Craps. Craps is fun. You got to learn how to play craps. You know how to play craps? Uh, I don't, but it looks like a lot of fun. It's like what they oh. have in every movie or TV show. Yes, yes, basically, and it's basically every. Uh, it's basically the only game that casino show when. Uh, they're trying to do an ad of some sort and show everyone happy. Yeah, craps is fun. You should learn how to play that. No, I know the basic ins and outs. But I mean, I'm not no expert by any means, but it's, it's a fun little game. Yeah, I should totally look into it. I should not be intimidated and probably do like a little like free online game first to learn how to play it. But yeah, I've always wanted to learn how to play it. It looks like a lot of fun. Roll dice. Looks like a nice thrill. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I'll definitely keep that in mind for the next time I hit up a casino. But for now, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening to the State of the Nova Nation. If you haven't already, please subscribe to us on Podomatic, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or iTunes. And pretty soon, it'll be on Spotify. Podomatic has partnered up with my favorite music streaming service, and I'm looking to get it on there sooner rather than later. But yeah, looking forward to having another channel in which we can distribute our wonderful Villanova podcast that just seems to always match the rankings week in and week out. Also, please check back at the website all throughout the week. We are going to have goodies going on, especially with Final Four just around the corner. It's going to be a good time. So check back, check every day, check often. Also, please follow VU Hoops on Twitter. 
and on Instagram at VU Hoops. And you can follow me, Eugene Repay, at Repay 5 And you can follow me, Chris Stanzial, at The Stance Man on Twitter. Nova Nation, the Final Four is almost here. If you're like me, you're so excited and you haven't slept in two days since we made it past the Elite Eight. But I am looking forward to this weekend and I can't wait. And I hope if you haven't booked it already, you make a decision real soon because those tickets, those flights, and those hotel rooms are going to book very quickly.